millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Q Commentator and to episode two of series three. My name's Nick Heath and it's great to have you joining me once again for what I think is another one of our truly honest and revealing conversations. Uh, But before I make my introduction, a moment to thank those of you that have been brilliant to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, It makes such a difference. Uh, It's also great to read as feedback on the interviews that I've done. Sarah Thomas said, love this podcast, ideal for any sports fan. Thanks, Sarah. I also hope to broaden uh, to more sports in time. Uh, Ginger Dad, uh, what a great pod. Been listening for a while and listened to all of the back episodes. Some really interesting insights into the people and the art of commentary. Favourite interview is the Ian Robertson one. Uh, Yes, Ian's live episode is a cracker if you've not heard it. A masterclass from the great Scotsman. Um, Patrick Kendrick on John Champion in our last episode. What really marked John out was his awareness of the current landscape, having recently worked for many years as a freelancer. Loved the insight into the cult of the commentator in the US too. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. Uh, We will have another guest on, intriguingly, uh, who has moved to the US coming up at the end of the series. Another very well established voice to look forward to those reviews are really valuable uh, tapping the five stars or as close to um, as possible is uh, is lovely and magic but uh, if you can spare what a couple of minutes while you're listening or when you've parked up if you're driving along to add a sentence or two in that review area uh, tell me perhaps which guests you've loved uh, who you'd really love to hear from please leave those reviews on iTunes it's really appreciated you can also message at Q Commentator on Twitter or me on at Nick Heath Sport with any other thoughts or feedback uh, oh and also hit that subscribe button many of you have uh, lots of you are listening who haven't it means you'll get the next episode magically in your inbox when it's ready uh, so do that Now then, our guest for episode two of our third series is a trailblazer, a woman who just was the first, the first woman to commentate on a football match on British Network Radio, and famously the first woman to commentate on Match of the Day. Now here's the thing, these are massively important lines in the sand, but if, like me, you think a lack of equality in any form, gender, race, sexuality, socioeconomic background if you think it's embarrassing and and disgraceful then it it can be tricky to work out how much to focus on these moments and kind of how much to move on and just be thankful that we are where we are now by banging on about today's guest being the first woman to do this or that 
it's kind of shining a light on something that should never have needed to be a thing. It's ridiculous that the profession of commentary was so male-dominated that a first woman moment only happened on something like Match of the Day 13 years ago. But... They are moments and they are part of someone's story. So I hope I cover these moments with the right level of sensitivity and I apologise if at times it might sound like I have disdain for them. Uh, It's not disdain for the change, obviously. It's for the fact that the world was constructed in such a way that it contrived these moments to need to happen in the first place. Um, I hope that makes sense anyway. Um, I'm pleased to say that I managed to conduct this conversation for this episode in person. Oh, we managed a socially distance set up in the garden and we enjoyed just over an hour's chat. And I think you'll find some fascinating stuff in here. Uh, how there were some real environmental challenges that, uh, well, helped provide a sense of life experience. How adversity was something to overcome and use positively. And how working blimmin' hard alongside having the talent will get you there. Uh, I'm thrilled with this episode and the candour and the warmth I think you'll find comes across with it as well. It gives me great pleasure to hand over to today's conversation and say cue commentator Jackie Oatley. Hello Nick. Hello Jackie, how are you? Very well, thank you. Good. Um, Born in Wolverhampton, born and bred Wolves fan. All right, okay. Uh, (laughs) Clever lady, Uh, was a year ahead for most of her schooling. Not clever though, I don't know what happened there. Okay, right, well um, got a degree in German at Leeds University, graduated at 21 after four years there. Worked her way around the world, did Jackie. Uh, moved to London, got a job, and there you were. There was almost a path that was set out there, wasn't there? But uh, while you're no doubt working and enjoying the London life, supporting Wolves up and down the country, playing football on Sundays yourself, uh, there comes around a 27th birthday reflecting on being halfway up a ladder you weren't sure you wanted to be on, unhappy at work, a knee injury, 10 months on crutches, that's going to focus the mind a little bit. And, uh, and Jackie did some research, tooled herself up for a new career, didn't you? I did, very well summarised, actually. I, I'd probably have told you that in about 35 minutes, so you've <laughs> done very, very well to spare everyone that detail. But, yeah, so it was, it was a, a journey, in inverted commas, uh, I tried not to use that word, and I've, I've gone straight in with that, that um, it, it was maybe different to many other people, that it... It wasn't a case of growing up and wanting to be a football commentator. In a million years, it was never, ever like that. Not that I didn't want to, just that it, my surroundings, the culture of the time, it was never, ever something that I felt I could do at all. And mm. so, therefore, I followed a, a slightly reluctant path of taking each step and seeing where that led to rather than actually planning Mm. that situation so doing a German degree because I could speak German already I thought it would be four years fairly straightforward how wrong I was how's your German now yeah okay this is not so good but yeah, yeah exactly. I can't speak German, so I can't reply. French, I'm fine, but yeah, yeah good. maybe. Um, so yeah, so each step I took, thinking, well, hopefully this will lead to something really interesting, and it really didn't. Especially when I ended up working in central London and in an office all by myself because my boss was in his office in Devon, and I thought, mm, oh, this isn't um, quite what I had in mind. Intellectual property, account management, going to see all the local clients in the Chancery Lane, Hoban kind of area. And had sorry, nobody... I'm just falling asleep <laughs> <It's> there. actually <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> Trademark protection and mm. etc. And no, that wasn't really what I wanted to do, but it's one of those situations where, like so many of my friends, you get a degree, and then you hope that something will 
come up that you fall into that's really really interesting and it didn't work out that way no and uh, and so you went off to uh, well to, to to the bright lights of uh, of of working out what your career might be beyond that and, and doing a bit of hospital radio, as I say, tooling yourself up by doing a training in journalism and, and radio production courses, shadowing wherever you could. Why did, why did you decide that that, that was going to be the career? Where did that drop into your head as, as a way you wanted to go? How did that happen? So I think it had gradually built up on me that I thought it would be incredible to work in sports broadcasting but I didn't have any inner belief I didn't have any particular confidence I could do this I didn't know anybody that worked in radio which was something I'd love to do so it wasn't one of those where you've got a family member or a neighbor or somebody who says oh you know my great uncle works at so-and-so come in for a day and have a look and and then you sort of work out from there that that's what you want to do it was really very very much from afar and was visibility part of that because I know speaking to Sarah Orchard you know her her side of it was well, there weren't women doing it, so I didn't think that a woman could do it. A woman could do it. Was yeah, that- certainly not commentary. There wasn't anybody like that. So you, you'd see female sport presenters. But again, I didn't look at it and think, oh, I could do that. Mm. Um, nor did I really think I wanted to do that, to be completely honest. I had no interest in television. Um, just, no, it was just the broadcasting, local radio. I'd grown up listening to BBC WM and I'd grown up recording a little mixtape of my cassette Brilliant. recorder, pressing play and record, and they go around the Albion and the Warsaw and the the, the um, Aston Villa, etc. Reporters, and then they'd say they'd be going off to wherever. Um, and as soon as I'd hear the name of the ground where Wolves were playing, if I wasn't there, obviously, then I would press pause, and that would play the record it what that would record and uh, and I'd set up a little mixtape of the the reporters reports and the um do 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 it's a goal that was the goal klaxon was my Pavlov's dog moment yeah. where I got an adrenaline rush and usually it'd be for the opposition because we were in the championship or <laughs> division two as it was for ever and ever and ever yeah it was sort of division one for a bit wasn't it but it was um yeah I, I always had that interest but I just never had somebody say to me well you should do that Mm. you could do that or you know you're good at languages which was something that came naturally to me and sports knowledge football was my complete obsession Mm. not just wolves by any stretch everything every team every division every player I read match shoot 90 minutes cover to cover including all the 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 team lists and substitutes at the back of everything and I studied it all like a a proper teenage girl weirdo and um (laughs) but again just didn't believe so it was really it took me to my 27th birthday to go okay I don't want to be doing intellectual property anymore I can't play football anymore because of this horrendous knee injury I had and I just thought I'm so unhappy in my job I have to do something about it and I just thought well I'm going to research and thank goodness for the internet because it meant I didn't need to know anybody as such and it was way before Twitter this Mm. was uh, 2002 and so I um, researched read biographies researched more read more biographies signed up for hospital radio signed up for evening courses etc and after six months of that thought yep this is definitely what I want to do but I need to jump ship completely from intellectual property I need to throw myself completely at this I need to do full-time work experience I need to see people I need to go to press conferences I need to go to anywhere who'll let me in and work out the next step and And, the next step was a full-time postgrad because I wanted to do it properly I didn't want to it sounds 
ridiculous, but I didn't want to get lucky. I didn't want to be in the right place at the right time with yeah, a far okay. post to tap it in from a yard. It sounds nuts because you have to get in however you can. And I'm not saying I would have said no, had an opportunity come up. Of course not. But I did want to learn how to be really good at the job and know all the do's and don'ts and how to ask open questions and how to record and how to edit mm. and how to make my mistakes on a restricted service license station rather than on national television, for example. Yeah, there is that. Um, yeah, and, and so the postgrad, you know, came up in, in Sheffield and then BBC Radio Leeds. I mean, on your journey on the way there, not to ask too many personal questions about your bank balance, but, but were, you, were you saving up then towards the end of that job going, hold on a minute, I might need a few quid in the bank here to be able to afford to take this, this reset, this change? Because I know for a lot of people, if they're, if they're contemplating that, that becomes a big, big consideration. Absolutely. So as soon as I started working, proper job, if you like, in intellectual property in, when I was 23 straight away I started saving just by default because I always had it in the back of my mind <clears throat> I don't know what I might want to do one day or the rainy day we weren't thinking coronavirus well you didn't think that would happen but <laughs> no. I think commentators probably wish that they'd uh, maybe saved a little bit more um, for now but yeah so I saved up and I thought well it's always going to be useful having savings for whatever reason so thank goodness I was sensible so when I decided to make the change I did have some savings in the bank that I would have put towards a deposit to buy a flat at some stage and instead I ended up spending £11,000 on doing wow. a post-grad and supporting yeah, yeah. myself and petrol from Sheffield to Leeds and all around anywhere that would have me so yeah. I supported myself and didn't get into debt or anything. And by the time you're then working at Radio Leeds as a sports reporter, post after the post grad, you'd had the experience at that stage behind the mic in you know what you were training and some of the shadowing and the work that you'd been doing, I guess. So, did you was there an element of feeling experienced at that point? I felt as though my life experience was really useful, really useful because I think a lot of people graduate at the age of 21 maybe do a postgrad straight away and then at 22 they're like right where's a where's a job coming from mm. uh, I'll apply for this and hopefully get it and then you're in wherever you may be stop commentators you're in local radio and I just felt that having lived in Germany on my own as a student from the age of 19 to 20 and had some very challenging times there had a flatmate with some personal problems which was very very difficult to deal with and having to stand on my own two feet for the first time away from my best friends I'd gone to university with my best friend at the age of 17 so I never really had to stand on my own two feet mm. and then also traveling around the world with another friend from the age of 21 22 and working halfway around and brilliant brilliant life experience absolutely fantastic and then working in an industry where in my second job in intellectual property I was promoted in a very difficult situation above people who took it very badly shall we say oh, good. and made my life a living hell it was absolutely awful and I was so miserable but what a brilliant experience to have to deal with that mm. and and I think when it comes to journalism you need to have you need to have some guts. You need to be able to pick up the phone and cold call people and ask them questions that they might not want to answer. Or you need to build contacts, of course you do, in local radio initially. And that's what I did when I made the West, Lung when I made the West Yorkshire non-league football scene my patch whilst on my postgrad course initially and then afterwards. Mm. And, and I felt that just having been around the block a bit, having done various jobs and, and lived a bit and had a lot of adversity actually mm. rather than having life sort of mapped out for you and quite straightforward and comfortable yeah I've been through difficult times and had to work out a way through it and I felt that's really helped me you'd earned it 
before what what lay ahead. I didn't know at that point what <laughs> sort of scrutiny ahead. might lie ahead. Well, indeed, you know, and uh, and we will get to that. Uh, we will cover that a little. But um, was there a, was there any element then, despite? those things that sort of as I say maybe felt you earned the the right to be experienced and have all that behind you was there any imposter syndrome that uh, that uh, of, of you doing it imposter syndrome is an interesting one because I did feel different for fairly obvious reasons but I also felt I belonged because I knew I had the knowledge and the work ethic good and I didn't feel like, oh, someone's going to catch me out here. Yeah. I didn't feel that because I had done... Well, you'd, you'd put the work in to make sure that wasn't going to be the case, Absolutely, hadn't you? right from the very bottom, from hospital radio writing, from evening courses, learning introduction to print journalism on a Thursday night every week for six months, and radio production courses before doing my one-year post-grad, and shadowing as well. So I felt I'd taken every single step I possibly could, and then local radio, non-league football. And so... And then having, of course, been on the terraces for years and years and years and studied for years and years all these magazines and newspapers and articles and watched everything and listened to everything. So I didn't feel like somebody had just said, oh, you've got blonde hair, do you want to go on the television and talk about football? Not that that's possible to do, by the way. But I didn't feel an imposter in that regard. No, I felt very much like I love this and I want to be here and this little old studio Radio Leeds, as it was back then, before they moved to some swanky new um, studios. I just loved everything about it. Mm. I loved the I loved the smell of the old BBC local radio studios. I loved the the old microphones. I loved the fact that I had to phone round all these tiny little clubs in the um, uh, northern counties. Whatever league, northern counties, East League etc glass out and welfare etc and you didn't have social media back then and so no. you had to, and it wasn't on the wires either so I had to phone around all the and it was really stressful on a Saturday I had to phone around and try and get all these results and mm. then read them out on my little 10-15 minute slot every Saturday which I'd spent about two days prepping for yeah <laughs> and getting a guest on Amazing. that I prayed would pick up the phone afterwards so no I didn't feel an imposter but I I did feel I really wanted to do it properly I wanted to do a good job and I just threw everything at it. Social life, out the window. Love life, out the window. Didn't care. Mm. Didn't care. My friends understood. My soon-to-be ex-boyfriend understood. And that was it. I, I didn't mm. think about anything else for a few years. You had an opportunity then to, to do your first commentary, I, I believe, according to my research, Wakefield and Emily versus Worksop Town. Yes. Um, Obviously, I've, I've heard you say in, in another interview, which uh, which I'll reference, which uh, is a great chat for anyone who wants to see it, um, which is the uh, the 90-minute football chat that you did on YouTube. Um, you mentioned within that interview that part of what was motivating you to get into the, the side of Five Live and, and, and sport and, and radio broadcasting was you, were, you liked the side of asking questions. Oh, yes. And so... That doesn't necessarily translate into doing commentary because commentary isn't necessarily about asking questions. So, so why and how did that come into play? Because I was in Radio Leeds. I was initially, well, I was always freelance. I've always been freelance, but I was um, going in to do the non-league. And while I was still on my postgrad, and then afterwards, when people were on holiday, I was taking, filling in for people and doing various shifts there. And it became clear that people would start doing bulletins 
And at Radio Leeds, we used to do the sports bulletins for Radio Sheffield, Leeds, York and Humberside around the clock, which was brilliant training for me coming in because I was writing, rewriting, and I'm a real stickler for grammar. So I loved the writing, rewriting and really wanted to read it before I had to read it on air because I wanted to make sure everything was perfect. I can't bear saying less people instead of fewer or that kind of thing. Um, So I love doing that. And then I just saw people go from sports bulletins to match reporting, to commentary mm. as a fairly well-trodden path. Mm. And I just couldn't understand why, if I was in that room, in the sports room, which was a very, uh, very welcoming place with Derm Tanner and Tanya Arnold and James Dayton and Oggy and uh, Popey, really, really good people who were very encouraging, very welcoming. I couldn't see why would I not want to do commentary or not ask to do commentary. And I don't know whether they'd have asked if I hadn't said, can I do commentary? Mm. But certainly they didn't say no. Yeah. And that's what you want, really. So I thought, well, I'll give it a go. It doesn't mean that I'll be any good, for goodness sake. But I, I felt I owed it to myself to have a go because it made no sense to stop. So I yeah. did say to Derm Tanner, who was the sports editor at the time if I get a chance or if anything comes up, could I please make that next step after match reporting to, to commentary? And, and an opportunity came up, and as it often does, it's because something else has fallen by the wayside and suddenly <laughs> you're in. Uh, you know, a match has been called off and Wakefield and Emily versus Worksop Town was it's suddenly the, the match of choice on, on Radio Leeds <laughs> that night. And Oh, my gosh, I don't think I've ever been so nervous in my life. How, how well prepped were you to, to see it coming? I mean, were you, you, you seem to me like quite a thorough person in terms of the way you've prepared for this new career so I imagine at that point you're listening to what you can of other commentators knowing your gigs coming up to to make sure that that you've got the right things in place yeah very thorough we're talking a day after QPR Fulham and I think I did an entire day's prep (laughs) and I was on air about three times for about 20 seconds which which is probably a bit ridiculous but I it's not wasted it'll still be in my memory bank and it'll still be on my computer so I like to have all bases covered but mm. on that particular day I'd done the sports news on Radio Leeds that morning so I'd been up since 3.30 and in those days you didn't get a lot of information about non-league football on the internet they no. really it really wasn't that well developed back then at all whereas now you've got inside leg measurements of the yeah. you know, fifth tier players um, so that was very difficult and we had to make sure that I had a summariser and the captain was injured at the times so that he agreed to come on but the commentary position was horrendous and I, I just have one snapshot memory in the file in my brain yep. of the pitch being miles away to our right us being very low down Great. all the players being the same heights with short dark hair not being able to see numbers very well and the hardest thing is probably any other commentators who might be listening to this or aspiring ones is to put a name on the ball. If you can put a name on the ball, then the rest just goes and you can fill it in. And with radio commentary, you can paint pictures, describe the weather, your position, yeah. patterns of play, ask questions at the summariser. It all becomes quite natural. If you can't put a name on the ball, yes, you develop techniques to get around it. But for your very first one, it's so hard because mm. you don't want to constantly say, and the ball goes out 30 yards to the far left-hand side. He yeah. cuts inside, whips it. You know, you don't want to constantly blag it you want to know who's playing on the left wing who's playing right back and so you can put a name on the ball so the first one was definitely the hardest yeah how do you think it went oh brilliantly (laughs) (laughs) I remember it being blinking hard really hard for that reason for that reason because the identification the short notice I mean when I've done commentary since I go to great lengths to 
memorise names and numbers when I've done World Cups, Euros. It came up on Facebook the other day, actually, a year to the day since I did the Women's World Cup commentaries in France and the Thailand women's national team. But it felt like they were at least eight-syllabled names each and I got my yeah, good luck with that. then eight-year-old daughter to test me on numbers and names and I found it so much easier to yeah. know who was on the anyone in the squad before I got to that tournament I'd already memorized all the names and numbers and anything else was uh, was more straightforward after that once you had the name on the ball yeah that's very good I should I should say by the way I forgot to mention in my introduction we are gloriously in Jackie's garden here in Surrey so you may get the wind blowing across the microphone occasionally just to set the scene it's uh, it's a bit of a showery today but we're hoping to dodge the showers and yeah you may hear the occasional car go past in the distance but that's live broadcasting for you <laughs> as we are um so Jackie Joining then, I'm going to jump a little bit, but obviously you're, you're getting to grips with, with then commentating and having that experience, and, and you get the opportunity to join BBC Five Live in 2003. You must have been like a kid in a sweet shop at that point. And you then go on to become the first woman to commentate on a football match on British Network Radio in 2005, covering the Women's Internationals uh, in the 2005 UEFA Women's Championship. All of that must have felt pretty good. It did. It, it did. I was so excited because women's football was getting a bit of a spotlight because when I first commentated, obviously it was men's football. And back in those days, in the early 2000s, women's football was an absolute joke in this country mm. in the eyes of many people, mm. not just in the eyes of men, by the way. I mean, when you, you compare the attitude towards the women's game now compared to then, and I would say across the board, I don't want to drop anybody in it, but... It was a battle to mm. get people to take it seriously and to allow you to even talk about it on the airwaves. It, it really was because, well, partly in fairness to them, the standard was the standard was nowhere near what it is now because they'd never been given the opportunity, the support, the coaching, the yeah. infrastructure, the One chance to play as a kid. Other. I mean, it's pretty obvious if none of us had a football team to play for when we were kids and we were never given a ball, we were given Barbie dolls instead. It's not a surprise, is it? Yes. So, <laughs> so that for me was a wonderful opportunity the fact that five live were going for it with this tournament it was based in the northwest of england and and i was going to be commentating for them hugely nervous did way too much prep way way too much didn't sleep enough the night before oh all the mistakes didn't sleep enough the night before didn't print off my notes until the next morning which didn't then work and then i had to go to the ground to get them printed off all these things that you live and learn um, and we do things differently as we go on. But it was, yeah, it was an absolute privilege. And it was just good to get the first one out of the way because I did feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. Yeah. Even though it was radio, which is very different to TV and way less pressure. And were you enjoying, you know, seeing Radio 5 Live on your on your pass and all these kind of things? I mean, it had been, it had been obviously a station that you'd been listening to and had headphones in for years. So mm. the opportunity to finally be part of, of that institution. I can't tell you what it meant to me to work for Five Live. And even now, doing Game Last Night, I still listen to the jingle and get a tingle. And that yeah. rhymes. <laughs> honestly, it's... Get I your tingle it, from the jingle. <laughs> I do, honestly. It's just such a, a wonderful station. And the sport... Well, I used to listen to it wall-to-wall when I was single and lived on my own. I was, uh, I'd always have Five Live on all day anyway. But I think... Yeah, very, very special. I think when I did my first broadcast doing late night sports bulletins or weekend breakfast, it might have been. I did that for six months. It just felt very special going into the studio with presenters who I listen to all the time anyway. So, and I think that's that stayed with me all this time right up until now. And I include last night's 
QPR Fulham in that. Mm. And whatever I'm doing, whether it's Sky or whether it's ITV or whether it's anything at all, I just feel so lucky and so privileged to do this job and to be asked to go and watch sport. And I don't think that'll ever leave me because I wanted to do it so much and Mm. maybe because it didn't fall into my lap and I had to work and work and work, as probably everybody's had to do. I just really, really value each time someone phones me up and says, can you do Watford Norwich next Tuesday? And and I say, yes, please, I'd love to. I'd never go, oh, I've got to work next Tuesday. I was going to have a night doing this and that. I still say yes, please, with relish. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. And it's funny, I, I... I went through sort of 10, 20 years of having the tightest, closest group of friends ever that I know I'll have for the rest of my life. But if someone says to me, I've got a game I need to commentate on, I love them, but I'll drop them like a stone because, yeah, it's the excitement of being given the opportunity and being being the, pe- the person to be there. Um, I certainly share that with you. In terms of then being a few years into it and, and being able to commentate on, on you know, women's championships like that and, and being, being appointed by Five Live, how would you describe your voice and your commentary how do you think you were doing Ooh, yeah there's a question what, do you know what's first time i've been asked a different question on commentary um my voice i don't think i've particularly changed my voice over the years but we are always told to listen back mm-hmm. and if i've heard something that i think no too high mm-hmm. That goal call, no, then I'll absolutely do something about it. That's why it is important that you listen back because if you're struggling to listen to it, then think how the poor listeners are. So I don't subscribe to the notion that, well, you just have to be yourself and that's it. No, if you do do something that is slightly difficult to listen to or doesn't sound natural I mean you have to sound natural I think that's the worst thing if somebody sounds like they're trying to be a commentator that's the worst thing you can do so you do (laughs) you do have to find your own voice cliche though that sounds so it has to be a combination of being yourself which is why I enjoy radio commentary particularly although last year's Women's World Cup was just the most fun I've ever had even though I didn't have a summariser or a presenter or anything did the whole thing from pre-match half-time post-match everything all by myself but I loved it I think because I was so much more comfortable in my own skin after all these years compared to at first when you do feel as though you're you're really under so much pressure and scrutiny as I did rightly or wrongly and so yeah I I think people I guess would listen on the basis that you're a female and then they would judge other commentators on the basis of their gender too which is completely insane this is one thing I don't like because if people don't like the sound of my voice absolutely no problem whatsoever but don't then go saying oh women commentators just because you don't like me that is completely bonkers just like if you don't like one commentator in match of the day you don't say oh male commentators they're all terrible I mean it's just yeah. Oh, and it's started to pour down with it rain. Has, it has started to rain. It, there's a fairly dark cloud up there, so we can we can consider taking a hiatus, um, <laughs> depending on uh, on how much heavier it gets. I'm going to ask. I'll, I'll ask another question. We'll Crackle. see how we go. Um, I mean, related to that, though, I was going to say you, you could have people like Jonathan Pierce or, or or other commentators that are capable of hitting quite high registers, which could grate on you just as much as a female commentator that might have a high register. You don't naturally have a particularly high pitched voice. Some women do, some men do. You know, so it's it it has always. I found it quite interesting that people will will hone in on the fact that 
well, it's because it's a woman and she's very screechy. It's like, well, actually, there's, there are plenty of blokes out there that are commentating that I could tell you that are just as screechy. Yeah, I do agree with that. There are some commentators who have a higher register and some have a lower, and we all have our own ears and we all have our own our own opinions when we hear something as if, oh, that's a bit tricky to listen to. But I do think, you know, the elephant in the room is there's no point in being a high-pitched, screechy female commentator um, or male commentator, mm. but that will be an issue because people really won't be able to listen to it, and that's not being prejudiced. That is just, if it's difficult to listen to, you won't get bookings. Full stop, yeah. Yeah, so there's no point in having a female commentator. If they start like this and then they get to the edge of the box and, oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, because people will switch off. So, yeah. but that does apply if you're a male as well. So, I don't think you'd really get to that level if you were super high pitched. I think you do have to have a lower register, like the likes of Robin Cowan does, um, Vicky Sparks. I think if they were high pitched, mm. I don't think they'd get work. Being completely honest, but I think the same would be said of anybody. Yeah, I, have you ha- have you ever consciously had to think lower it, get down there? Oh, I've consciously thought about goal calls absolutely because. I think if you, as a female in particular, if you say too many words during a goal call, I think that can be too much. So I think on occasions, maybe we need to minimise the wording. As you could say for a male as well, because you don't always want so many words over a goal. You just want to pause and enjoy it, Mm. depending on whether it's radio or TV, of course. They're very different media. Um, But I think, certainly if it's TV, you don't need to be all over it with too many words and I think that's a way that women can moderate the way we commentate is to use fewer words with a goal call and definitely don't start too high because then it leaves you with nowhere to go and you don't want to give people the excuse to go oh female commentators you want to make it as easy for people to listen to as possible Mm. and so but it's interesting We, we clearly are still at a point given given the way you talk about it and I agree with you you're having to operate with a with an awareness that there's that there's that voice female commentators just waiting just waiting for the opportunity to kind of jump on that and it's it's a pressure that male commentators don't have to deal with and I'm I'm getting on this soapbox for you but it, it's frustrating that that's still that's that's still the case or that it's something that you have to be overly aware of I think it is frustrating on the basis that we don't choose our gender quite. and I'm actually quite happy being female funnily enough yeah but at the same you do time. It well. <laughs> at the same time, I do also understand, as a listener to commentaries and a watcher of television, I and nobody else wants anybody to be too high-pitched and screechy. I mean, it's it's okay to say that, so it's yeah. not a problem. So, yes, we all, as commentators, need to make sure that when listening back, oh, that was too loud, we have to make sure that we commentate as well as we possibly can, ideally use as few words as possible, nail the moment, and that can take practice, yeah. years and years of practice of listening back and making sure that you nail that commentary. So when people listen to it, it's an enjoyable experience rather than going, ah, female commentators. Of course, you don't always want to talk about the fact you're female, but equally, there's no point in denying it. And there's also no point in pretending that everybody's equal and has equal opportunities and are not scrutinised more mm. because we are. So yeah. let's just get over it talk about it deal with it and debate it if you like but hopefully ultimately do a good job so that when people are watching they don't say oh it's a female mm. and they just Be good think of me. you as being a commentator because you're good enough yeah. at your job which you should be anyway yeah 
I mean, obviously, a lot of this conversation comes comes to the, the the moment in 2007, obviously, where Jackie fantastically was the first female commentator in the history of Match of the Day. Um, I'm aware from from listening to that great interview um, with uh, with Ben on 90 Minute Football. Jackie goes into great detail there, so I do encourage you to seek it out if you've got the opportunity. But um, the papers got hold of it happening that you were going to be on Match of the Day that weekend, didn't they? And uh, and you were fairly hounded and messaged by people over the course of that week. It's fair to say um, to the point that it kind of became a real distraction from from being able to do the prep. And and you've spoken about this and and do go and listen to to where Jackie kind of outlines a bit more of it. But but those distractions kind of got to you being able to do what what you would rather have done which was your best work that was my problem with it I was a journalist so I fully understood that being the first female to do something was noteworthy because there aren't too many achievements if you like left that females haven't achieved so I do understand the interest but what what I struggled with was the fact that it became a massive sexism storm and should this woman be allowed to commentate. And I did think that was absurd. But my biggest beef was, oh, let people go and have these debates. They were having phone-ins on TV, radio, and that's fine. Let them do that. But my issue with myself was the fact that I allowed, that I allowed myself to be drawn into that debate by politely replying to everybody who'd asked me for an interview because of course I knew a lot of people in media from local Mm. radio stations around the country from newspapers because I've been in so many press box over the years yeah so and you want to help people out because people have helped you out before or that kind of thing and I just wanted to be polite and I phoned them back I text them back and people were so kind the way they phoned lots of commentators phoned and they they were absolutely lovely so that was wonderful but with hindsight I should have left all that to the following Monday, pick up the phone and go, phew, thank goodness that's over. Thanks for your call last week. Or yeah. thanks for asking for the interview. I hope you understand why I didn't do it. But hey, we live and learn. And so, yes, it became a big distra- it became a big distraction in the sense that I didn't get much prep done at all. And what I'd planned to do that week before was listen to the various match of the days I had recorded on Sky Plus and really focus on the differences between radio and TV because this was my first ever TV highlights commentary, which is completely different to doing mm. live radio commentary when you're throwing to racing and you're throwing to the uh, cricket and the darts and you're what have you, um, and have a summariser with you and you're setting the scene, painting the picture, yeah. describing where the ball is, what the weather's doing. It's completely different to doing highlights commentary. So you are commentating for 90 minutes, but... You don't have a summariser and you're really more interpreting what's going on rather than just constantly putting name on the ball and saying where it is, etc. So that's something I really wanted to get into my head that week and study. And, and, con- and conscious of the edit as well, it's fair to say, oh. because you know that if a goal's been scored, you need to get that line out and finish it rather than leave a long, hanging, you know, 15-second sentence that's, that's so well, what a goal, which is so good because in the week he talked about this. Like, no, that's not going to work for the edit. It's a great goal, his third of the season, and it puts them back on par. Cool, that's the perfect length for the edit and we can crack on. And to want to be conscious of all that and on form is exactly where you want to be. Having your mind full of the week you'd had mm. is not helpful. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to phone up an editor at the BBC to say, right, what do you like in a commentator edit-wise? What helps you out in the edit? All those kind of things, that that sort of research, because I'm so big on research. So I'd wanted to have nailed my prep earlier on in that week, ideally most of it, and then spoken to coaches from either side, etc., to have every base covered, (laughs) and then to focus on the difference in the media. And it just didn't happen. And I'm not not bleating about it now, because it was an absolute privilege to be asked to do a game contrary to popular misconception at the time it wasn't a job Mm. I was freelance I was asked to do a game having done them every week for five live and five live sports extra so but but I think it's important to to cover it in this way because I think you know one of my favorite films is Anchorman right and and (laughs) and 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 as and as as parody as that is the moment Veronica Corningstone nails reading the news (laughs) is a big moment for her and and she gets the opportunity to nail read it she's like I nailed it and that's it's hilarious and brilliant <laughs> but similarly you don't want to have that opportunity and and as a result of things out of your control feel like you weren't able to do your very best and and I, yeah. and I think that's really relevant yeah that was the hardest thing for me i just kept focusing on just do a good job and then come Saturday night Sunday morning Monday morning whoever says whatever it's entirely up to them but as long as I'm happy I've done my best so I did my best in the circumstances but that was hugely frustrating that it came to very late night Friday night and I remember phoning Mark Crossley and he was like oh what a week and I was like because <laughs> I'd commentated with Mark before top lad and he was at Fulham at the time yeah and so he helped me out with sort of rough team news and you know bits and bobs and it that was a frustrating thing I should have been tucked up way before that I should have had my prep done way before that but that's how it was that's life and no it wasn't my best commentary ever and uh, it was okay it was it's life it was a life experience it was completely bonkers I wouldn't wish it on anybody but it's a life experience and um, you take these and you, you stick them in the bank the experience bank and you move on and my next commentary at Anfield for match of the day was Oh, it was just—it was just I so bet. nice I to just bet. go and do a commentary. And the, the photographers at the side of the pitch were focusing on 
Robbie Fowler's last match rather than the fact that there was a bird in the commentary box. Yeah, <laughs> and so it should be, my goodness. Well, I'm <laughs> pleased to say, obviously, you've gone on to uh, to do plenty more commentating alongside reporting and presenting. I mean, interesting, you know, as, as you said, we're, we're, we're doing this chat during, during the COVID-19 period. Um, I mean, I know you were single at the time, living on your own when that happened as well. So knowing how people have struggled during lockdown to be able to keep themselves on the straight and narrow, to have, to have had all that going on while, while you were also on your own must have been been quite a challenge and it, it's it's to your credit that you're that you look at these as as being so good as as a positive part of the fabric of of where you've gone on to um in terms of the the way your commentary has developed and 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 how you approach games now how much is there a routine where does your prep fit in how do you approach match day just just clue me into to, to jackie the commentator uh, as you approach a game these days yeah my life's quite random now it's it's a, it's a mixture of presenting reporting and commentating on the likes of the women's world cup last year which was i mentioned earlier my most fun time i think i've had in terms of the actual commentary box which is strange for me because i've always enjoyed being part of a team which mm. is why i actually ended up moving into tv by accident away from radio not intentionally it's just opportunities came up but I love working with other people and it can be quite a lonely existence as a commentator particularly away on these on these major tournaments where the year before I'd been working as part of the ITV presenting team in Russia and you're hanging out with Roy Keane and Gary Neville and um, Martin O'Neill and Wrighty just brilliant 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 time but Mm. totally different when you're preparing to present compared to commentate so the following year I was in the commentary box in Rennes for seven matches for the Women's World Cup barely saw a soul yeah barely saw anybody I was in this tiny little box for three and a half weeks missing my kids like mad (laughs) because it was just me and commentary and I am really square as I mentioned when it comes to notes and preparation and I just spent far too much time doing that rather than doing what John Champion does which is doing a commentary and then going out and seeing the local culture uh, I did a bit of that tried to go to different cafes get my nice Just sunglasses nicked I spent so much time on my own I'd have to do it differently next time but the actual commentary I loved because I think it was was it 17 18 years worth of experience mm all culminating in the fact that I'm just more comfortable in my own skin now, whether I am presenting or reporting or commentating or or doing the darts or whatever I may be. I just don't feel that people are staring at me anymore or listening, Mm. going, oh, my God, it's a woman. And it might sound daft to somebody who's not experienced that, but the early years, and that is years plural, I really did struggle with confidence. Mm. And... I think it really comes through on air. Certainly did in some of my early commentaries. If I, you know, was having a bad time of it or what have you. Whereas now, I think in that tournament, I was away away from my young kids, which does help on the prep front. Much as I adore them, it's very hard when they're coming in every two minutes, mommy. And um, just absolutely loved the fact that I could go into all manner of detail, but not just not just the names and numbers, as I mentioned to you before. Yeah. That's really the basis of it. But I love the stories. And as a journalist, I loved I loved doing the research and going to the press conferences the day before at the stadium and sort of chasing the press officer down the tunnel because you weren't supposed to go down there. And yeah. if I was nice to them, they kind of let me go a bit further than I was supposed to. And trying to get background information on players. And that really brought it to life for me. And then I really enjoyed doing the commentary 
based on, yes, the nuts and bolts of who's playing in which position and how many caps and experience, but I really tried to tell stories during the commentary about one of them was there with her... She had a toddler, two-year-old back home. Another one had a ten-year-old or something. I mean, it was it, it was fascinating. And I think women's football can be really interesting in that regard because you do have so many different stories about how they've got to that position and what full-time job they're holding down at the same time in the local supermarket yeah. while scoring a fabulous volley from 20 yards or something <laughs> in the World Cup. How does that work? Um, so, yeah, I think over the years my prep has evolved. I use a template, which I've shared with up-and-coming commentators in case that's any help to them because it mm. took me a long time are you a handwriter no 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 not a chance if you want me to scribble down a note you'll understand i look at when commentators put on social media here are my notes for today I'm like, wow your handwriting's neat yeah. i could not do that i do everything on computer and then shrink the font and put I it in I've, all different colors either i'm speaking to you know older generation commentators which a lot of our guests have been on cue commentator but the majority are handwriters so to find someone else who is happy on a computer i'm i'm, I'm with you on that I, I, yeah I don't, my hand had hurt <laughs> I, I just couldn't no way I'm just too messy and couldn't get as much onto a page and then I just have too many pages of notes and yeah you, you can't find anything so no I have um a document saved in word called blank template funnily enough and then every time I do either a reporting game or a commentary I save as and I have the only difference between the two is on the commentary one is is an extra page for the extra details for the players yeah but I still put that on a match reporting but it's it's maybe not quite as fulsome and um and then I know if I'm commentating I know exactly where to glance to for say I have a section on talking points you know, in mm-hmm. case there's an injury and you just want to bring something out of the blue mm-hmm. um, and I have results fixtures goals um last liner uh, manager's information quotes head-to-head um, all those things in the same place every time nice. and in different colours, etc. So I just know, you know if there's a quiet moment and I need to sort of glance down at a stat, I know exactly where on the page it's going to be. Yeah. But with it being on computer, it means it's in a much smaller, neater font than it would be if, if it was handwritten. You and can fit more on it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the prep in terms of the, the written detail. What about anything else you will do for the instrument of your voice? Yeah, so I think you do have to be warmed up. I remember last summer doing Chile against Sweden, which was, we had this random thunderstorm, lightning storm, completely out of the blue. And I was commentating live around the world for the, the world feed. But the BBC had also picked up mm. that feed because they, they don't necessarily send commentators to every game. Yep. So they were broadcasting that one. And suddenly we had something like a 40-minute hiatus. And I filled for most of that time. But I was having an absolute whale of a time. And I I remember saying before that game, I just was in a particularly good mood that day. And I just started singing Wind Beneath My Wings around the stadium. And I I tweeted this, warming up my voice by singing Wind Beneath My Wings, just Ah. hoping there wasn't anybody around the corner thinking, oh, dude, shut up, love, can't stand Bette Midler. Um, (laughs) But um, can you hold a tune? No, no, no. But you enjoy it clearly. Yes. Okay. Nobody else does. Okay. Well, I think I can. My husband thinks I can't, so we'll have to beg to differ on that. But um, but yeah. So it would normally be in in a car on the way to a game, um, and then trying not to have too many milky drinks okay. is another thing. Chocolate yep. doesn't work well because. It's not nice when you hear a broadcaster close to a microphone and they've just had some galaxy and you can actually hear a, 
it sounds terrible to talk about it, but you just know and you think, oh, did you have to eat that in the break just then? Because yeah. you can hear it for the next five minutes. Yeah. The galaxy melting in the back of the throat. Yeah. It's not helpful. No, it's horrible. Um, but yeah, I'd always notice when, particularly in my early days, if I got stressed out about commentary and be sort of doing too much prep or thinking about it overnight the night before or you know, memorising names and positions in bed and thinking, oh, I need to take my mind off it, that the next day my throat would be tight and sore. Okay. So through experience, I learned to make sure I had my prep done earlier and yeah. just through experience again. Um, and it, it did happen. I did feel that scrutiny as well at that time, but it's it's quite nice that that's subsided now because then I don't have to spend the night before memorising names and numbers. And yeah. And and so a bit of a sing-song in the car then, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, nothing too spectacular, but I did have singing lessons when I was younger, and I did, nice. I did learn a few uh, a few ways to warm up the voice. So I think you do have to, to a certain extent. And of course, the worrying thing is, you just don't want to lose your voice. And, and doing commentaries at World Cups, I did 2010 World Cup for Five Live. I think I did seven commentaries in seven different cities in seven days, and... My main memory of that was the lack of Wi-Fi. It was horrendous. The lack of time to update my notes I'd done before I'd gone. Um, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, you've got to stay fit and healthy. That's that's a really important thing. And stress can be terrible for the voice. Yeah. So you do have to... You want to socialise, you want to go out. But I'm not, unfortunately, the type of commentator who can um, who can have a, a large one the night before and then, then be on it the next day. I'm, I'm really quite square when I go to tournaments that no, but I th- wait, last if, night, or even now, darts tournaments. It's yeah, a job everyone though, else isn't it? is having a great time, and I tend to leave it to the last night. But that's... Yeah. Hey. Uh, well, that, that's certainly been a theme, as, as we've discussed with various people, and, and it, it's important. It is. You're looking after the instrument so that you can, you can do the job. I mean, has it ever let you down? Have you had moments where you've struggled with it? We've all had sore throats, and but nothing too major that I can think of. Mm. Um, but no, I, th- I think that's the one thing that you just don't want to get ill. You don't want to feel sick. But I think probably that first match of the day commentary was was the one time when I was just bent double in agony from having a knotted stomach from not having slept for three nights or eaten for three days so <laughs> fair to say that wasn't the best preparation <laughs> at all but never mind that's that's in the past indeed um and and what about if you're when you're within a commentary we all strive for the perfect commentary and we all learn to realize that perhaps it doesn't exist um how do you cope with moments that you know within a commentary haven't gone particularly well how have you learned to deal with those of you as you've got more experience yeah that's a horrible feeling if you feel you haven't done something well or I don't know. miss ID on a goal or anything like that these, any of these sorts of things happened and, and how have you dealt with them I think you learn over the years to deal with it because it's live it's live and I think you just have to front up you have to just say it was so-and-so who got the final touch but particularly from corners I mean just in the last couple of days watching games where you think it's impossible to know who scored until sort of 10 seconds later so you learn coping strategies for that and if you're not sure oh you just you don't really shouldn't just hope hit and hope if you like because afterwards you're oh no yeah it's not ideal but um no i think the worst thing is if if you're looking down at a moment when you know ball struck from 20 yards you weren't expecting it that's that's the worst thing so yeah i think again over the year this is an experience thing i think so much of it is experience that you've done something you think oh, i'm not doing that again i'm just going to make sure that if the ball unless charlie adams on the ball from 60 yards then you know not to look down at your notes because he might just ping one in but um but yeah ideally you've, you've got to just um have as much in your head as possible that's something that i learned over the years the number of times I've spent days on prep particularly in the early days days on prep and having these 
beautifully manicured notes with everything colour coded <laughs> and different fonts and different sizes. And it comes to the commentary, and you just haven't got time to look down. Yeah. And you spend all these days finding out this fabulous information that you think is really interesting. And because it's not in your head, um, you don't get to use much of it. So again, that's another. But it's a, another it's a security blanket to a degree as well, isn't it? But then maybe you realise that you need to put less time into that. Yeah, and everyone has their own way of doing it. And my boss at Five Live always told me off, Matthew Allen, always said, stop doing so much prep, stop doing so much prep. And I didn't really know what he meant. And I did do too much prep. But at the same time, it is about doing the right type of prep because I would do every player... This sounds ridiculous now. I would do every single squad player's height initially. (laughs) And ages, but I'd say age 22 until August so that yeah. next time I did that team I would then be able to update it rather than doing everything from scratch because I might do them again a couple of weeks later and think yeah. well they might have had a birthday since then whereas if I've put 22 until August yes then I can I'm nicking that I've not been intelligent enough to put that in mind of yeah. course but then you know Nick Mullins said to me he's like oh I can see you're putting heights ages and weights in your in your prep sheet we did a little comparison several years ago and I've probably said this on the pod before but um but he was like, it, it's quite a Bill McLaren thing to do, you know, or the six foot six guy who's uh, all, all of 27 years or whatever. And he's just like, unless they're 17 exactly. or they're 40, yeah. everyone's a professional athlete between the ages of 18 mm. and 35. So just. Exactly. So if it's <laughs> like, Adebayo oh, yeah, okay. Akinfenwa, then his weight, if you have it, particularly compared to his uh, strike partner, for example, who yeah. might be five foot five and, you know, yeah. nine stone. That's interesting because people know him as being a. Didn't you know, know Willie Carson was a footballer. <laughs> I need to update my jockey references. So, really, but I'm it? interested in those kind of things. But again, that comes from experience. And initially, I had this ridiculous comfort blanket of everyone being five foot seven or six foot one. <laughs> yeah. It's totally irrelevant. But I remember, <laughs> yeah. you know, that first match of the day commentary. That night was six foot six in the danger area, or whatever. That's that's relevant because he's yeah. six foot six and he's gone up for a corner from the back. So yes, that's relevant. But you do you do learn what you're likely to use and the certain stats I couldn't care less about you know it's his 50th appearance for Barnsley I mean really who cares I mean (laughs) honestly you get these in the stats packs and notes and no I'm not interested in that I'm interested in if his wife's gone into labour this morning and he's you know hoping to be back in time or um, playing with a sense of urgency (laughs) yeah I'm a little bit more into the yes of course the relevant stats if it's his 100th goal for the club of course it's relevant but um, I do try to bring people to life a little bit more and talk about the colour and the background and the stories behind why they're here. Or this might be his last game because he's uh, been linked with a move to his mm. join his brother at Norwich or where, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. it might be. So yeah, yeah, okay. Um, who did you emulate? Obviously, you were listening to a lot of voices through Five Live, as you mentioned, as you grew up. But who have been the sort of sporting voices that you've rated over the years? Oh, how long have you got? <laughs> Honestly, I think you've interviewed most of them in this podcast. I may have done, I may have done. You have John Champion being your last one mm. is just somebody I admire so much for all sorts of reasons. I mean, when he was part of our team at ITV for the last Men's World Cup, he and 
Ali McCoist were just such a wonderful combination. They were so easy to listen to. They brought even the most diabolical game to life. And I think that dynamic is important because mm. you can sometimes tell if there's a little bit of tension between the commentator and summarise, or even if it's not tension, just the lack of chemistry. So I think when you get a combination like that, a bit like Steve Bull and Andy Much, you know, they um, it really works. I think that's mm. been picked up elsewhere now. So, yeah. But John Champion for ticking every single box, the voice, the brevity, the not using too many words, the context, the colour, the likability, mm-hmm. everything. Uh, Peter Drury, another lovely man. Both of them I rang up actually before I went to the Women's World Cup last summer and said, look, you know, really want to do a good job on this tournament and you've been to so many of these. You know, talk me through some of your sort of top tips and mm. made loads of notes I've still got them in the books oh, wow. upstairs because I think the two of them are just the best at those tournaments mm. because they are different to just going to a commentary on a Saturday or a Tuesday there's a longer narrative isn't there yeah and you know about life in a life in your hotel room and yeah I, I didn't do what Peter Drury told me to do which is make sure I got out enough but hey ho um yeah so I would say those two Peter Drury for his use of vocabulary and language he's just wonderful at that all the five live lot I would say pretty much you know, John Murray Ian Dennis I think Ian Dennis because of his contacts in the game he knows so many people that he sounds like he's phoned up 15 people before each commentary so he knows more than most people he's not somebody who's just sat in a hotel room and and got the stats and gone to a game none of them are they, they all I think the ones you know who've spoken to people in the game that makes a difference yeah um Match of the Day lots, Sky, oh, gosh, so many. They're all Rob there. Hawthorne. They're all there, yeah. Um, yeah. I, in fact, I, I struggle to think of somebody who I really can't listen to. I mean, everybody has the favourites, but I can't... I most people would probably name one or two, but now I admire everybody for different reasons. Mm. Like I said, Peter Drury for his use of vocab, but... Um, that's good. And, and what about Simon Brotherton's voice, for example? It's, yes. it's just so yeah, easy. Yeah. The big moments. Yeah. It's so easy to listen to, and it, it nails those big moments very well. Yeah. Um, what Guy about Mowbray, of course? What about uh, what about Cocoms? Why why do you think the best of them are the best? When they've done their research, yeah. I love a summariser who has spoken to people in the game, and this is where I think some of the new pundits, straight out football, find it a little bit difficult because. Yes, they want to get information, but they don't want to drop their mate in it or you know who yeah. they are. But somebody like Danny Higginbotham, I would point to as being having carved out a fantastic punditry career. You could argue not one of the, the biggest names in terms of the box office names, but his experience of fighting Premier League relegation battles is every bit mm. as valuable as somebody who scored 200 goals in their career. Yeah, OK. It, because you need that angle as well. Yeah. And the fact that he speaks to somebody, so when I've worked with him at ITV and done FA Youth Cup matches with him, for example, he's always spoken to people, you know, chatting before games, said, oh, I've spoken to Moisey or some, somebody in the week and mm. he said this and this player's going to be great because of this particular characteristic. And um, especially when doing those types of games, you mm. really do want to know about the player and yeah. you know and what they're like as a character. And great for well you as, as a lead com to be able to hear what that is in the lead up to a game so that you can you can open the door for your co-com to bring this this info they've got into the commentary. Yeah, and, and, and again, you don't want them to be doing your job and saying what's happening, but they, the good ones, know that. And if they haven't done much of it, then you tell them. Again, it's different for TV and radio, but 
you just say to them, you know, I'll do the nuts and bolts and, and you analyse, analyse the systems, analyse which teams are playing well and why and, and bring that to the bring back to the view but I've, I've certainly done not too many but I've certainly done a few commentaries over the years and the summarizers shown up uh, basically said right who's playing what game is it yes I've and that. your heart your heart sinks because you've just spent in my case a couple of days doing prep for this commentary and I've literally had to tell them everything about the players about and, and, and as a girl who likes to do her hard work how do you like it when they go can I have a look at your notes no I would, I would happily <laughs> share them with them because you're a team and you want well, them true. to you want the commentary to be good so I, I'd, I'd spend the hour before the game telling them stuff but that's not the ideal situation and no. I remember going to the World Cup in South Africa and being really impressed by Martin Keogh and we were in forget which particular media tent it was um Bloemfontein was it I think and um and he was going around meeting foreign commentators and asking them about their teams and mm. you know the team that we were about to do and that was good somebody who's not afraid to, to go and get that information rather than sort of sit there and yeah rely on their reputation or saying what they see or far post should have done better and I think the game's changed now I think the punditry game's changed you can't just be a big name now who plays golf during the week and who shows up on a Saturday and says oh he'll be disappointed with that or three defeats in a row managers looking over his shoulder yeah that's not enough now and I think you'll see the best pundits around yes some of them are big names but whether they're big names or not big names they tend to know their stuff and mm. have to do their own research now and um, that's I think how the punditry games have changed and certainly with with co-coms and summarizers they have to be in the modern world and mm. they have to have to know these players or know these managers and study form and mm. have watched the games at the weekend to be able to reference it and uh, they have to work hard now yeah yeah they do um i don't want to keep you too much longer jackie just uh, just a few more questions if i may um you mentioned obviously the tv and radio differences many of our guests have, have touched on on what they believe the main differences are whether whether we're hearing the same thing or not what what do you find are the, are the key things to think about well if you're doing radio you're obviously painting pictures the the weather the temperature i mean not too much on that but setting the scene somebody like conor mcnamara by the way is brilliant at that he's so so absolutely good. yeah and the five live lot in general of, of the um setting a scene i think are, are fantastic and um, the nuts and bolts of remembering to explain to viewers, listeners, sorry, which way players play. You know, there's different ways of saying on the, the left back over the far side, OK, so you know that they're attacking the goal away to your right. Or mm. you can say Liverpool attacking the goal away to your right. They're a different attacking the goal, whichever way you want to describe yeah. it. There are different ways of saying it. Um, but for TV, it is very, very different. It's not usually something that people have to think about straight away people don't tend to go into tv commentary although with a lot of betting websites now um there is more work off tube of course which is a very different experience yeah um so it is more a case of analyzing what you see whether it's a a bad tackle or not you don't have to nail your colors to the mask but you can you have to be a bit stronger with an opinion than you would be maybe for radio and you can leave it entirely up to your summarizer Mm. Um, and i think you have to put a, a goal into context better yeah, you that's use interesting. Fewer words, and you have to capture the moment because your goal on TV could be played back many, many times. Say it's a World Cup, Women's World Cup, whatever it might be, whatever the sport. And if it's played back ten years later, you want your words over that moment to really capture 
what happened and put it into context. And so how aware are you of that as that goal's being scored? Yeah, you have to be. I think it has to be a mindset that you train yourself that this is a World Cup and this goal could be played back. And it's more of a, a mindset you go into the game so that you know if there's a big moment um, that you want to get that moment right. And you might pause. You mm. might allow the ball to hit the back of the net, make a comment, maybe put a name on the ball and then give it a couple of seconds, allow the crowd to go up, allow the crowd to go down again for a moment and then give it a few words contextualising it rather than just talking all over it and that's a great goal from 30 yards and that's wonderful and we'll be playing that for years to come. Yeah, and will you write a a note or a line or two in any of your prep so that it's a World Cup final, it is a goal that needs context that might be attached to a few more things than than you would be able to bring to your mind in the moment? Will you will you prep any, not necessarily lines, but... I think you think about them, definitely. It makes sense to be aware of them because you don't want to finish a commentary and go, oh my gosh, that goal was so significant mm. because of x y and z and i didn't mention it at the time mm. so as part of your prep definitely you prep for the context of if it's um if it's a player against the former club or yeah um, you might have it might have a line in your mind but i certainly wouldn't sort of sit down with a, a load of different lines written down in front of me because you can't you can't go hang on a minute hang on which one is it um Kane hang on what have I got for Kane uh, oh right yeah yeah oh, and Kane has just yeah so no I'd that doesn't work that. but certainly in your mind it makes sense to to just prep if a certain player does something then you have that in the back of your mind of what the significance of that moment is and make mm. sure you capture it which do you prefer TV or radio that's really interesting I love the teamwork of radio having a summariser being a bit more natural I, I enjoy more natural broadcasting than something that's more formulaic so match of the day is a bit more formulaic in that regard because you have to you have to bring to life those those clips really those mm. those moments um so I prefer the sort of slightly chattier nature of commentary radio commentary and, and having a summariser he can have a bit of fun with I mm-hmm. like to have a bit of a laugh um but, yeah, TV's fun as well. And you you are working as part of a team, a, mm. a bigger team behind the scenes, the cameramen and the, yeah. the sound people and um, the director and the producer. So uh, I've always been more of a radio person in that regard in terms of commentary. But, you know, I really admire the likes of, you know, when I sit next to Clive Tilsley and Glenn Hoddle doing the big games at World Cups. And, you know, I'm still in awe of how Clive picks exactly the right words for the right moments. And I think a lot of experience helps, but he still does it very well. Yeah. 2020, then, has seen you become the host of Sunday Supplement on Sky Sports now. Um, belated congrats. Um, I wondered, out of the commentating, presenting and reporting, where do you feel the happiest now? That's a great question. It's really weird because my, my career is really quite random. I'm not in one particular box. Um, if I was phoned up and asked to do a commentary next week, I'd absolutely love to do that. Um, but equally, presenting TV shows, I love the question. I love the Sunday supplement opportunity to, to ask questions for 10, 15 minutes and to mm. let it breathe, which is really unusual in television. Really unusual. I mean, radio, you tend to get longer to chat, say, Monday, Monday night club type things or the, you know, the yep. Friday night preview of the weekend's games. It tends to be a more relaxed format where you can do that, but not so much on TV. So it is, it's a brilliant show for that. 
Um, I love doing Sunday supplement. It's you're allowed to love them equally if that's if that's where we're going. Yeah, but... probably less so the match report. I, I do enjoy the match reporting as well, but I love to really get stuck into something. And with yeah. Sunday supplement, you, I work really really hard during the week in terms of notes and picking up quotes and yeah. watching everything and listening I've, again I do way too much prep for that <laughs> way way too much prep finding a running and doing theme, a match yeah. on a Saturday and then get home and kiss the kids no Jamie you put the kids to bed I'm back to do more prep until late and then up at four o'clock in the morning for Sunday supplement and nice at my desk at six reading all the papers so I'm looking forward to hopefully going back to that but we'll see yeah not too sure at the moment um and uh, yeah that is I'm not really giving you a straight answer, am it's I? It's fine. It's fine. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, on the commentary front, then, what would be a couple of pieces of advice you might give to someone looking to become a commentator or, or to perhaps improve? In terms of looking to become a commentator, you have to be really sure it's what you want to do because there are so many people who want to commentate. And relatively speaking, there are so few, not even jobs. I mean, it's not really a job, is it? It's A lot of us tend to be freelance and wait to be asked and you know, if you have a contract then great or jobs are very very few and far between so you have to really want it and you have to be prepared to work extremely hard and it if you don't want to work every weekend well maybe it's not for you you do hear along the way people who still want to be able to go to weddings birthday parties hang out with their mates a lot of weekends the and fools. they want to be a football commentator <laughs> and you know in three months of Sunday supplement. I missed three friends' 40th birthday parties because they're on Saturday nights and I was tucked up in bed. And um, So if you want, if you still want to be able to do those things, it's, it's very difficult to to really make it as a, a commentator, I'd say, when your work is weekends, evenings, etc. Um, and I would say work extremely hard. I would say listen to podcasts like this, the likes of John Champion Hooray! and uh, John Murray. I wish these... Is the right answer. I wish these podcasts had been going when I was starting out. And <laughs> yeah. you didn't really hear people talk about it. You read the very odd article of somebody who's made it to the very top. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd a... say work hard, ask for advice and commentate into mum or dad's iPhone and, and listen mm. back. And if you can, get some feedback on it from somebody who's done it and who has a good ear for these things because you have to listen back, improve, cut words out, cut the cliches. It's way too much. Hear your patterns. Oh, way too many cliches going on. And people, <laughs> again, because people listen and maybe listen to the adverts and think that's how you should do it. So Yeah, yeah, understood. Yeah, and just try to improve. And in terms of trying to get up the ladder, just work extremely hard, be nice to people take every opportunity if it means missing your best friend's birthday party because you've been asked to shadow somebody well that's up to you isn't it but the commitment has to be there finally then jackie there will be a time when uh, when the day comes where you may be approaching your your last gig your last match your last moment um in the q commentator fantasy final commentary uh, it could be a week it could be a weekend it could be a tournament single game what would be the sort of job you'd be happy to call your last which obviously we hope is many many years away but but what do you <laughs> what do you think that that that, that might be uh, well, I've, over the years, I've tried to hide my footballing allegiance, and it was very easy for a number of years until social media and 
presenting a podcast as I do uh, for Wolverhampton Wanderers. So I think if I'm going to give you an honest answer, it would have to be Wolverhampton Wanderers winning the Champions League final. There we go. That would be quite the occasion, wouldn't it? Amazing. Um, well, Jackie, look, you uh, you have definitely proved yourselves in the proved yourself in in the greatest way to be probably one of the biggest swats I've spoken to of, of Q Commentator. It has served you well, the work you've put in. You've been a trailblazer. Uh, you've been incredibly dedicated and it's, it's really testament to the hard work that you've put in that you've earned the accolades and the work that you've continued to get. Long may that continue. Thank you so much for your time. Jackie Oatley, all the best for the future. Thank you, Nick. It's been a pleasure. So I hope you didn't mind the odd car and van trucking past there. Uh, It was so good to be back recording an interview face-to-face. It really was. Um, There are a few more coming in this series that have been recorded virtually, but uh, I'm grateful for Jackie letting me uh, come over to her house and uh, and her very neat garden as well. Um, I hope you enjoyed that as well. I thought Jackie was great. Clearly someone who works her socks off, maybe overworking on the prep at times. Um, It was interesting, if not a touch sad or frustrating, to hear that it's the scrutiny that ends up putting good people off their stride rather than letting them get on with being great at what they do. Uh, We heard more backing for being square and getting the job done, not going out mid-tournament to save the voice. Uh, We also heard Jackie praise Q Commentator as a resource for commentators. So she's, uh, well, she's read the script on that one beautifully, clearly. Um, My thanks to you for listening. My immense thanks to Jackie for her time. Uh, It's at Q Commentator on Twitter. And please do leave a few words on iTunes for me. I will be your best friend. Uh, Tennis is on the cards for next time. Until then, take care and I'll catch you soon. Bye for now. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. We're kicking off during March Madness. Cal's Kentucky Wildcats are in the hunt. So throughout the tournament, I'm going to call up my friend to ask about his wins, losses, and especially what he's telling his players in the locker room. 
You gotta win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.